Hi, listeners. This is a Stop the Presses special Loose Cannon edition uh, devoted to what is currently going on in Canada with the, the truckers' protest in their capital, Ottawa, and uh, the government's invoking of the Emergencies Act to try to end it. Um, I should say thanks for sticking with us and apologies for the long hiatus over the last couple of months. Parnell's a bit busy on other things, so it's just me for the moment. Now, um, Canada, it's kind of crazy how little attention it's getting in Australia. So we're going to go straight to someone who is going to explain to us what is going on and why. Um, it's another Jonathan. This is Jonathan Kay in Toronto. He's the Canadian editor of Quillette, uh, amazing publication, really recommend it. Um, and he's the host of the Quillette podcast. Again, amazing listening, highly recommend it. And he's a regular op-ed contributor to the uh, National Post in Canada, and he's a book author as well. Jonathan, thanks for joining me at short notice. No, thanks for your interest in, uh, in, in our country on the other side of the planet. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Now, tell me, to just give me uh, or give our, our listeners a summary of what has happened and what are the events that have led up to where we are today. So it started as a protest specifically against vaccine requirements for truck drivers, as I understand. Is that is that right? So I would say about a month ago, Canadians started learning about this protest movement led by primarily long haul truckers, but it sort of swept in other other people starting out in Western Canada, and the plan was to drive in a big convoy to Ottawa, but they've also visited other cities. And the direct subject of their complaint was Canadian imposed vaccine mandates on cross border travelers, and specifically in their case, truckers. So you had some truckers who didn't want to get vaccinated and you know, I can see like, they're not in most cases going for two week vacations, they're going across the border. You know, maybe they're not seeing anybody, they stay in their truck, a lot of delivery places have protocols where the, the truck driver doesn't even get out of his truck and everything's automated. And, you know, sometimes they came back on the same day basis and they say, why do I have to be vaccinated? Um, and I, I don't think there was a lot of sympathy in the rest of Canada, Canada is a very high vax country. So I think something like almost 90% of Canadians over the age of four, have received at least one shot. Yeah, so, similar to Australia, maybe Australia's yeah. a bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a competition, John. So yeah. it's uh, it's not like the United States, where in the United States something like this would automatically attract, not automatically, but you'd probably get Republicans who are interested in providing support for this kind of event because you know there are some states even now uh, there are some states in the United States where it's like I don't know sixty percent I know Tennessee I visited Tennessee uh, six months ago was at forty eight percent back so um, this this event a wouldn't be that unusual in the United States uh, or, or maybe even some European countries and b would receive mainstream support from the right side of the spectrum. Canada is a little different, though. Um, the Conservatives haven't gone in for any kind of anti-vax stuff, although, strictly speaking, this isn't anti-vax, it's anti-vax mandate. Uh, you know, like, I live in Ontario, which has a Conservative Premier, and our, our federated system is very similar to yours, where our provinces, or in your case, your states, I think, have a lot of power, including over health. So you have a, a Conservative Premier, but, and a Conservative government here in Ontario, but the vaccine vaccination rates in, in, in Ontario are very high. And the lockdown policies have been fairly strict by international standards. So 
it's not like the United States where it's like you see these charts where you know, Democrats are super supportive of vaccines and Republicans are super skeptical. Yeah. Um, and so even I'd say many centrists and conservatives were very skeptical about this convoy. It seemed like kind of anti-vaxxer and some of the organizers and some of their documents that they were using to promote, like just kind of this like sketchy, weird stuff in it, like um, really fringe stuff. And, and I... I think I was like a lot of big city Torontonians, you know, put my nose up in the air and say, what do these truckers want? Uh, especially now, like Omicron seems to be fizzling. Just, if they just wait a week or two, they'll probably get rid of some of these mandates. Right, so right. They, and they came across the country. And what happened was they became the story, but the overreaction to their presence became the story. So like as they rolled into Ottawa, this would be the last weekend of January, I think Friday, the, I want to say the 29th at that lines yeah. up mm-hmm. um like this weird social panic broke out because there were a lot of there's a lot of canadians who just kind of live on american social media and they word had gotten around uh that this was going to be like a january 6th capital invasion type moment like i don't know how closely you followed that in australia but january 6th 2021 Oh, yeah. Trump, Trump <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you've heard of it, but in Canada, it's even bigger news because, like in Canada, whenever something like that happens in the United States, there's, there's a whole class of pundits who are kind of half expecting something analogous to happen in our country. Right. Um, so, they saw it through that lens, right? And, and you, you even had some fairly prominent politicians and uh, media people who were talking like this was an insurrection, and, but it wasn't. Like it was, it was a few hundred trucks and a few thousand protesters who rolled in parked their trucks in downtown ottawa many of them are still there by the way it's been more than two weeks um and kind of had a street party mm-hmm. um they didn't try and invade parliament uh there's almost been no violence uh-huh. um but they've also been like a gigantic pain in the ass for people who live downtown and the first week especially they were honking their horns like crazy at one point they made a mess they've mm-hmm. actually since then it's become more civilized they've like have all these protester subcommittees who clean up the street and shovel snow and all that stuff uh-huh. um and at least in my mind the the overreaction from the pundit class and the political class came to be so hysterical that even though i don't share any of the concerns of the truckers like i'm you know i boosted vaxxed um i'm i'm fine with mandates like i i'm a typical sort of big state urbanite um i gradually kind of i wouldn't say i'm on their side i there's no i'm sure there's a side to take here but i became more sympathetic to them by force of repulsion from in some cases just like flat out lies that that the media have been telling about you know trying to suggest that like nazi symbols are common in in their demonstration which yeah, is nonsense. yeah there's like yeah. the first the first day i think there were two nutbags who came out with posters that like tried to attack Trudeau as a Nazi. So there was a swastika on it, but it was pretty clear. Like they were, it was a misguided attempt to smear Trudeau as a Nazi. It wasn't like we believe in Nazi ideology. Yeah. Uh, and there was one guy who had a bumper sticker that said like, which is a, this kind of French European reference to the, some anti-vaxxers who they say Nazi terror instead of sanitaire. Like it was again, to me, a, a completely hysterical and overwrought rhetorical tactic. But it was by no means yeah. like and and, and 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 by the way, even if there was a Nazi or two at this thing, like protests on both sides of the spectrum attack whack jobs, yeah. sorry, attract whack jobs. You get haters, you oh, get extremists. Yeah. It happens everywhere. Like if you go to 
a left-wing march or a pro-Palestinian march. This could be some guy with a hammer and sickle and, you know, death to Israel and all this stuff. It doesn't mean everybody in the crowd is an anti-Semite who wants to destroy Israel. It means there's an idiot who came with a sign that says death to Israel. It happens. Yeah. Um, so anyway, can I just, can I just ask, though, um, you know, I was listening, sometimes I do radio nerdy things like listen to CBC and... Um, which, which, people, which even people in Canada don't do anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you got that little jab in, yeah. Yes, I did. Thank um, you for noticing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's kind of a very... The, the, the host, I don't know his name, he has a very nice voice. And the guy who was interviewing, who was very elite and maybe a former ambassador to the UN, they were very much sort of on the same page. It was a very a kind of... Um, they kind of came from the same kind of set of assumptions sure. and it was very, I guess, a bit condescending and very like not really talking. I, I was left with no understanding of what it was the protest was about. It was all a sort of kind of a psychoanalysis and lots of words like populism and extremism thrown in right. there. And, and they were very genuinely concerned and, and like um, injured, like they felt a sense of um, a, like a real emergency was happening and the action was really justified. And I just have no idea what the truckers were motivated by what they were saying, because the, the discussion was conducted at this kind of meta level. And I'm like, well, what, what's this all about? You know? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, what you're describing, sorry, I didn't, I didn't, sorry, I, I don't mean to be snide. I, I, there are some people who listen to CBC. I, I, I haven't listened in years because a lot of it is just exactly what you're describing. It's um, people who, are booked for their interviews on the basis of, you know, the homogeneity of their views and the fact that they'll nod their head a lot at, at things that CBC hosts are saying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and, and what you're describing is not an informational ritual where you impart information. It's a sort of a, a tribal affirmation ritual where the, the guest and the host both signal to listeners who can be depended on in most cases to also have the same preconceived views, uh, you know, their, their affirmation of the approved idea, which in this case is that uh, these people are uneducated and they are right wing. And so presumably like Nazi adjacent, they probably like Donald Trump. Um, yeah, they, like these yeah. type of people usually believe these types of things. That's basically what, yeah. what yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like yeah, citation needed. But yeah. um, so you can so you interviewed and, and two way, guys from the protest, and that was and, a really great podcast, and I want everyone to listen to it. So tell me, what do you think it's about? So um, I mean, partially it's just it's about what its stated aim is. Like a lot of these people just. I don't think the mandate thing is made up. Like a lot of these people don't like the mandate. But the other thing is, uh, but sorry, what what does that mean? The mandate that means they want to like get they want to get rid of the vaccine mandate for truckers who who go across the border. Okay, like it's a, there's a very specific issue, and I it, that's what the thing was nominally about. But I don't think that was a red herring. I think that if you talk to them, in fact, I talked in this podcast that I did for Quillette, they mentioned that prominently. It's 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 a big thing for them. I mean, some of these people have lost, lost their livelihood because they feel strong. They don't want to get vaccinated, but their job as a trucker requires them to go across the border. And so, you know, instead of making 40,000 a year as a trucker, they're, you know, they might work at McDonald's or have no job mm -hmm. anyway. So there's that. But the other thing, which I think is, is equally important, and I don't want to descend into these sort of airy generalizations of the type we're, <laughs> we're stereotyping in regard to the CDC, 
But in Canada, I mentioned that Canada is, is 90% vaxxed. Um, this signals the fact that Canada, there isn't a lot of space between its nominally conservative and nominally progressive parties. Like we have parties called the Liberals, we have a party called the Conservatives, we have you know the NDP, New Democratic Party, which is to the left of the Liberals. We have the Bloc Québécois, which is a regional Quebec party. We have the Greens. On most issues, there's like just not that much real estate between them. So, you know, they're all pro-choice. They're all uh, pro-free trade generally. Uh, there's, you know, very few of them. There's, there's no real tolerance for anti-vaccine nuts. Um, even the conservatives have sort of grudgingly come around on global warming. And as a result, of this, if you're a person in Canadian society, like some of these truckers, who has a view that is outside of this extremely narrow spectrum of po politically respectable views that are represented through institutional politics, you kind of have nowhere to go with it. It's right. not like the United States. I mean, the United States is, 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 is a bag of crazy for its own reasons, where it's too centrifugal. Like if you believe in QAnon and, um, you know, Sandy Hook was a fake and vaccines are nonsense. You, you know, there's some Republican congressman you can get like maybe on your side and you can actually find somebody at the national level who will represent your crazy views. Um, Canada isn't like that. The right. parties are ruthlessly whipped um, by, by their leaders. Uh, votes with rare exceptions, uh, votes in parliament or, or the provincial equivalent are, uh, are completely whipped affairs, just party line votes. And so... This isn't so much a problem for radical progressives because to a certain extent, radical progressives have, ha have had their rhetoric taken up by the liberal parties. But, you know, the liberal, Justin Trudeau talks about, you know, all this like, white supremacy and uh, privilege and uh, he's called Canada genocide state because the right. indigenous file. And like, so if you're a radical progressive, I mean, you're not satisfied because, uh, you know, Canada still deals with Israel and all these other heresies. But to a certain extent, the language of protest on your side has been co-opted by institutional progressive actors. Right, Whereas right. the language of protest, the language of dissidents on the right side of the political spectrum is completely stigmatized in Canadian politics. So you've got all these truck drivers who are like, wait a sec, I know that a lot of my friends agree with me. And just putting aside the vaccine things, like a lot of stuff, like, you know, just take your pick, you know, it's just, land acknowledgements and pronouns and, um, you know, the fact that every white person is, um, a, you know, uh, presumed to be a racist, like they turn on the CBC and it's like 24 seven of this crap. Um, even conservative politicians are pressured to pay lip service to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there's no real institutional outlet for it. And some guy says, Hey, I have an idea. Let's drive a lot of big trucks into downtown Ottawa and honk our horns. And they're kind of like, yeah, that's an amazing idea. You know the Jerry Seinfeld joke where a guy honks his horn at a woman at an intersection and, and Jerry says, this is a man out of ideas. Uh -huh. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this kind of like what this was. And so I guess I'm sort of agreeing a little bit with these uh, CBC stuffed shirts we were talking about mm -hmm. um, that, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's an expression of populist rage, all this. It kind of is, but yeah. I kind of get it why they have this populist rage is, is probably too strong a word this populist discontent because all the people who they're sending to ottawa or provincial capitals exhibit nothing but contempt for their attitudes or, yeah. or they they're not allowed to say anything because then you know some 28 year old chief of staff will come down on them with an email message saying hey 
you know, don't feed the trolls. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I get it. And, and, and that's why I have some sympathy for them. And that's why, and it helps to talk to them. You know, we live in a very stratified society where, you know, white collar workers live in white collar neighborhoods and other people live in other neighborhoods. And I, I bet there's people listening to this podcast who, who don't know any truck drivers. You know, the only yeah. truck driver they know is the guy who drives the van who brings them their Amazon crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly in my neighborhood, that's the case. So yeah. yeah. So that's, that's kind of what's going on. It's interesting how like some of these things you're saying are, are very much the same in Australia in terms of how the parties are very disciplined and there's kind of, you know, um, very little space between very little difference between the governing party and the opposition party, but there is a little bit of a difference probably in the, um, the, the, the extent to which sort of this, I guess, um, yeah, political correctness or wokeism or whatever you want to call it, it has sort of taken over like i think there's a i think there's a, a lower threshold for and i think there's an awareness among the political class that people will roll their eyes if like some of the things i hear on the cbc and i hear trudeau saying i'm like eh, a politician here wouldn't really go for that yeah. because it's just doesn't they don't think yeah. they'll get any benefit from it and they'll just kind of no trudeau is 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 jumped the shark in fact the economist uh dropped an editorial or a leader as they call it in england um yesterday uh yeah. one of a number of pieces they've written about him, basically just talking about him uh daily telegraph also has a columnist uh is it eric coffin is that his name um who's who was just like made it clear that internationally trudeau is regarded not just as like sort of one of a number of woke politicians but like an especially sanctimonious and annoying example of the genre <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and this whole thing will, will do nothing to discourage that view because I, I talked before about the overreaction of the pundit and pol political class to this, uh, that reached an, an apex, uh, this week when Justin Trudeau invoked, uh, uh emergency powers. Right. So you, you got to where I wanted to get to. So tell me yeah. about this, explain what happened and what is the emergency act and, and, and what are the implications here so um canada like, like a lot of uh democracies canada does have enabling legislation which permits governments to act without normal consideration of due process in certain emergency situations so like you know the wartime or horrible nat natural disasters it's actually fairly circumscribed by, by the standards of other nations, like you know, provinces, and I think even cities in some cases have a chance to sort of uh, weigh in. And I think within a week, uh, I think the Supreme Court has to weigh in. Um, okay. Yeah, but you know, for that initial period, the government kind of can do what it wants. Like I, there are limits, and, and as I say, provinces have a, have a strong say in this. But it's, so this was passed, the, the original statute was passed, I think, in the late 80s. is um, <laughs> the first time it's been used. Like, think about everything that's happened yeah. uh, since the late 80s. And you look what's happening in Canada. What's happening in Canada now is basically a parking enforcement problem. Yeah, like, so they didn't use it, like, when the actual pandemic was happening and we thought, no. well, we all had to stay at home maybe. And it was, we didn't know how dangerous it was, but they're using it now for this protest. Interesting. Well, I should say, I just, just to give people a sense of the antecedent law was something called, if I remember it was called the, was it the war measures act or something like that. 
I think that's it actually. The War Measures Act itself, predecessor legislation until the late 80s, was used sparingly. And when it was used, it was for terrible reasons. It was used to throw Ukrainian Canadians in internment uh, in the World War I period and after World War I, scandalously. And it was used to throw Japanese and Italian Canadians into uh, internment. And then most recently, it was used in 1970 during the FLQ crisis, which was a, a legitimate terrorist separatist uh, movement in late 1970. That's the background for the successor legislation, which is this Emergency Act, being used. So you had like World War One, World War Two, the great, you know, the most widespread terrorist surge, uh, scourge that Canada had seen in the 20th centuries, certainly, and then. The years pass and it's used for, drum roll, a parking problem in Ottawa, which is like it, a slight exaggeration, but not much because there's not even that many protesters in Ottawa. It's like by the standards of international protest, um, you know, you hear, see Black Lives Matter protests and indigenous protests. And I'm sure Austra you know, Australia isn't a big country, but I'm sure there are sometimes you get tens or hundreds of thousands of protesters in the street and stuff. This is this is a longer protest. They've been there for a while, but it's smaller in terms of numbers. It's really, there's like a bunch of trucks downtown that they got to get rid of. It is a parking problem. Okay. And you have, Justin Trudeau has decided that he's using this draconian legislation. And okay, so he must feel like, he must feel like there's enough people out there that are on his side that, that are kind of like, yep, this is absolutely a threat to everything that um, we hold dear, no? <laughs> well, no, I mean, he, you're not wrong in the sense that poll data and like, I'm sure the case in Australia is, um, you know, these people don't tie their shoes without looking at survey data. Uh, the protesters are unpopular. Um, arithmetically, it's like, you know, when they're asked, you know, should the government crack down on them? Does the government, should they be arrested? Should they be thrown in jail? Like, do you have, you know, how survey questions work? Like, you know, do you feel you have anything in common with them? The numbers are all kind of like two to one in favor of saying, no, I don't like these guys. Let's, let's throw them in jail or, or at least crack down on them. However, uh, the same pollsters also report that Justin Trudeau, um, and to a certain extent his provincial and municipal um, counterparts, are also deeply unpopular, and, and no one's happy with them. Trudeau wanted this thing to go away. What he should have, in retrospect, he should have met them, given them the dignity of the meeting, maybe said, I don't agree with you, but I'm here to meet you because I'm the Prime Minister of all Canadians. That would have been the um, proper thing to do. He didn't. And then the days passed and became too late for that. And, and people were starting to look for it to him because the primary responsibility was the Ottawa Municipal Constabulary, which either is unwilling or accounts differ, but they kind of, they've taken a very hands-off approach. They wanted to maintain safety and not get, let it get out of hand, but they haven't really done much. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the province, uh, you know, Ontario has its own police force. Um, and, but then you know, Justin Trudeau is the most visible Canadian politician because he's, he's the prime minister. And things got to the point where I think for him, the Emergencies Act was a bad choice, but it was, um, it was the best of his terrible options because at least it made him look like he was doing something. The other thing, and this is, this, this is kind of grubby, the main point of them passing the Emergencies Act, it's not like they passed it and then like a bunch of commandos came in and used Chinook helicopters to, to get the trucks away. Yeah. That hasn't happened. Like there's been no, what they've basically done is just gone in and frozen the bank accounts of 
some of the people who've been moving money to to help these truckers. So you know it's and the, the amounts involved aren't huge. Like it only takes a couple of thousand dollars worth of gas to get a truck to to Ottawa from British Columbia. So uh, it's basically the the main effect of the emergencies act once again you know applied to fix a parking problem mm. has been to kind of freeze a couple of million or maybe you know low tens of millions of money mm-hmm. uh, in the hopes that well if the, you know if the money's not there these people will pack up and go home okay huh. yeah. so the way you describe it, it sounds kind of i don't know light and breezy but should i like i don't know my my first reaction was when hearing that it would could involve the government basically, you know, taking money away from or, you know, um, interfering in, you know, the bank accounts of people for participating in a protest, I thought, right, so this is this is how it starts, you know, the journey down to China, to, to the, the, the China road. Uh, it's terrible. And, and this fact has not been lost on people that, um, I mean, I've been light and breezy in terms of because I'm trying to look at it from a, a foreign perspective. Uh-huh. Um, and it does seem absurd. Like I've been, I'm delighted to be on your podcast, but you know, I was on a podcast, a guy in India, mm-hmm. and this is a country that just, you know, the farmers protests mobilized how many hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know. And here I am like telling his listeners, oh yeah, you know, we have a big, bad, really bad parking problem in downtown Ottawa. So it's a national emergency and people in India are like, oh, what, you know, like this, you, what you described is like a weekend. It's just, it's not a hmm. historical epic emergency. So that part is is crazy and funny. Yeah. What's not funny is you have people who have committed no crime, right? Because maybe they donated to uh, these truckers. Truckers are not a listed entity. You know, it's it's illegal for me to give money to Al Qaeda or something, a terrorist group. It's a listed entity. Make sure. Fun. You can't do that. You can't do it in Australia either. Sure. Right. Yeah. But but the, t- <laughs> the truckers were never a listed, and they're not a listed entity now. There's the, you know, I mean, you hear wackos calling them terrorists they're not they're not terrorists uh and um it ends up being what's known as as a post facto application effectively post facto application of law or when you do something it's legal but then after the fact you say well we've decided that that's that's wrong and so we're coming after you and and for a lot of these people actually even the government isn't the worst consequence there was a leak of the go i think it was gofundme data whichever funding third party it was mm-hmm. there was a leak and so now thousands of people have their addresses and phone numbers and identities leaked and you actually in some cases have people losing their jobs including somebody who works at the solicitor general's office here in ontario mm-hmm. as i said it's conservative government i think she was communication she lost her job because it was this close that she gave a couple hundred bucks to this convoy which was not an illegal enterprise and the whole thing now has this very uh mccarthy-esque mm. aspect to it um, well, you know, I, I have in my hand a list of 200 truck drivers. It's, it's got that aspect to it. And you see socialists and, and left-wingers, to their credit, many progressives, including like some hardcore socialists and progressives had come up publicly, including the editorial board of Toronto Star, a very left-wing newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, and said, this is wrong. Like, Well, that's good. That's good. It's um, good. It's a, sign, yeah. it's a sign that, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is good. I mean, uh What's the position of the, because you've got a party there that it's like left of the governing Liberal Party. Um, um, what are they called? NDP, I think. The New Democratic Party. Yeah. yeah. So what's their position? Because I saw a quote when I was preparing for talking to you. I saw a quote for, or, or you know, a paraphrasing of their leader's statement that said something completely illogical like, 
He supports the um, crackdown and the evoking of the Emergencies Act on for this protest uh, to stop it. And he also pointed to the double standards uh, and, and, how, and how easy that these protests have had it uh, and how law enforcement hasn't done anything and you know, compared to how they treat, I think the term was some um, racialized, uh, racialized <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't, yeah, yeah, I haven't heard whole, that in Australia, but yeah, racialized. No, they people. have this whole um, fruit salad of, of terms. Yeah, so, the, I, so it seemed to me he was saying, look, we, we, we really want the police to crush this protest and to you know be fair and crush all the other protests in the same way <laughs> yeah so i think so you're talking about jagmeet singh if i think if, if i'm correct so, uh, who's the right. head of ndp so the backstory here is that the ndp used to be very heavily like joe Lunchpail union i think in, to this day in their party's federated party's constitution there's uh provisions to give um advantage in, in voting and such to, to, to unions like they, they've hardwired unions into their their structure and it used to be like the liberals were more sort of like the corporate centrist uh, middle class Canadian left and the NDP was sort of like more the, the working class Canadian left and most of the time it's a majority government in parliament but the, the times when you've had an NDP liberal government it wasn't crazy that like this coalition which each, each represented different constituencies in Canada. That's completely changed now where you, you have both Justin Trudeau and the Liberals and the NDP uh, led by Jagmeet Singh going after exactly the same constituency, which is like, you know, highly woke, university educated, uh, middle to upper middle class people who are phobic about anything that's mildly conservative, um, who kind of went nuts about how much they hated Trump and can be like dependently, dependably riled up against anything that smacks at all of populism. Okay. Uh, and, and they've, I wouldn't say they're carbon copies. There's some differences in their policy, like NDP tends to be more aggressive with their policies on climate. I mean, it doesn't matter. They'll never form majority government. So they can, they can say this, the, the sky is green. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter, but in their rhetoric, they do tend to be left of center and their ostensible policy positions. But in terms of like the, the demographics they're going for and the woke nature of their rhetoric, it's the same sanctimonious stuff. Yeah. And so what happens is if Trudeau calls the protesters Nazis, Jagmeet Singh has to say they're super Nazis. And if, if Trudeau said they're super Nazis, Jagmeet Singh would have to say they're mega Nazis. The problem is, <laughs> from the police perspective, is you had a lot of people on the left who in mid to late 2020 were going nuts for this abolish the police stuff. Jagmeet Singh didn't, didn't go full abolish the police, but there was this notorious incident in 2020 when the police in Toronto responded to a distress call, a woman in, in mental health crisis uh, in a high rise in Toronto. Uh, that woman uh, excused herself before the police were able to take her to get mental health, health uh, consultations. I think she said she had to go to the bathroom she tried to escape from one balcony to the next so the cops wouldn't be able to take her for, for therapy. And she fell to her death. A conspiracy theory emerged in the neighborhood, totally unfounded, that she had been pushed by the cops, that, that, the, that the police had murdered this woman in cold blood, thrown her off a balcony. Like yeah. just the most, and it was disproven. Um, I think even the lawyer for the family said it was, it was nonsense. And there was an investigation which exonerated the police in that respect. And Jagmeet Singh to this day 
dog whistles that conspiracy theory okay. um he's tweeted and so just like an incredibly despicable attack on on men and women in uniform which he did just like for the grubbiest possible purposes to suck up to the abolish the police crowd without actually saying abolish the police because that would just that would turn off um centrist voters so thoroughly that he couldn't say that uh he's 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 just a complete demagogue when it comes to that Right. Um, and so he had to criticize Trudeau for, you know, because these are guys who are increasingly having, you know, you talk about squaring the circle. I mean, these guys are drawing squares around, you know, spheres, circles, ovals, like any kind of curvilinear surface you can imagine. It's become crazy because they're, they're, they're locked into these dogmas. You know, they've told us that okay. yeah. cops are racist, the cops are white supremacists, the cops are horrible, they're part of the problem. But now suddenly they're like, hey, go get them, boys, you know, take out the truncheons, just like a complete violation of, of all this nonsense they've been telling us. OK. Uh, and civil liberties, you know, like here you got the left in, in Canada until 15 minutes ago, they were championing civil, civil liberties. Now, suddenly Trudeau invokes the Emergency Powers Act, yeah. uh, sorry, the Emergencies Act in order to solve a parking problem. And in so doing, decides he can lock the bank accounts of his critics and you've got people, progressives, who, you know, in order to play for the team, they got to say, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. To, to, I guess to, to, to wind up here, I guess there's, there's two things that we are, well, just that, that I worry about. And the, the first one we already talked about, which is that, you know, we don't know, like, we're setting the bar so low for invoking emergencies power, emergency powers, the you know, capacity of the government to just come in and take your money away if you go to a protest that they don't like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, where, awesome. where is this leading? So that's the first one. Is this leading to some kind of social credit system like we have in China and blah, blah, blah. And then the, third, the second thing is, it's so disturbing that the left, which is supposed to be or used to be distrustful or skeptical of authority and uh, orthodox institutions and, um, uh, you know, all about sticking it to the man and, um, you know, celebrating rebelliousness. And now it's that all those things are, and I, you know, I've had this in conversations, personal conversations with people, it's equal selfishness. If, if you're rebellious or you question um, something that you know, uh, you know, the institutions, the official authority, uh, authority, authorities have said that's being selfish, that's being um, conspiracy theorist. Um, just the the kind of sense that um, anything other than behaving as though teacher is watching, and we should all be perfect students, um, is like you're a bad person for um for having these thoughts and and these ideas and and that worries me like you know that obviously a large portion of the society has just decided that um you know um, this kind of questioning of authority is just not a good thing <laughs> that's a worry look I've been focusing on the hypocrisy on the left and I agree with what you're saying, but it's important to recognize that this is happening on the right too. Not so much in Canada, but if you look in the United States, you've got like conservative groups going after school teachers because a rumor goes around that they're using like some pornography book in grade eight and uh -huh, uh -huh. like they'll, um, they'll ruin this, this person's life 
based on kind of uh, social panic and <clears throat> right. I mean, you and I maybe pay, pay more attention to it because in the world of ideas, uh -huh. which is sort of dominated now by progressives, uh, the progressive social panic affects us more, uh -huh. but it's happening on the right. And under, under Trump, like it, you know, that was kind of four years of, 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 of wacky right-wing social panic. So uh, maybe a lot of progressives are like, well, you know, now you know how it feels. Okay. Uh, so it's like a social panic thing on both sides. Like everyone's socially panicking. Part of it is social media. And with social media, we just routinely see the worst of the other side. Right. It right. used to be, you turn on the TV and like Dan Rather or Walter Cronkite or whatever, um, or Peter Jennings, like would, would give you this very airbrushed sanitized version of what the institutional actors on the other side or your side were saying, Whereas now no one watches the nightly news. So instead we go and, and conservatives are getting riled up because of what Rachel Maddow or AOC says and left wing and to left wingers, like every, everyone right of center is just a miniature Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there's a centrifugal effect because we're radicalized by, by just constantly seeing specimens of the worst of the other side. And that ultimately is how many Canadians chose to see this, um, this this truck convoy, uh, -huh. uh, you know, for them, for a lot of these people, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like, you know, German tanks rolling into Poland in 1939. Whereas on the other side, you've got really ardent defenders of the convoy who are attacking Justin Trudeau as a Nazi. I don't think Justin Trudeau is a Nazi, and I don't think that rhetoric is helpful. But if he's trying to defend himself from the charge that he's an autocrat, passing this kind, you know, invoking this kind of law as a means to shut his critics up and to fund them in a, a democratic country, that is not helping his cause. He, he has had a bad week. Hmm. I, know, I know I said I was going to wrap up, but I just have to also ask, um, you, you paid a lot of attention in your discussion with the two guys who were at the protest, the tradesman and the trucker, yeah. just talking about the really basic stuff that motivated them. And um, I'm just wondering like the, extent to which you think like some of the observations they made were really insightful like for a lot of people like all these things all these restrictions that have been imposed over the last two years they're really not that a big of a deal they work from home everything's pretty much fine they don't make many sacrifices it's just all like yeah what's the big deal it's all yeah. for the greater good of the community and for safety but for other people who run their own businesses and um you know need to go out and train in Australia, it applies to people who needed to travel and couldn't, couldn't leave the country. Um, the imposition was very severe and the, uh, and it was just felt very differently. Um, so yeah, is it, are we talking about mainly sort of the division between two groups of people, one that like feels these restrictions intensely as an infringement on their everyday, you know, their daily hourly existence and others who are like, what, what are you, what are you worried about? Like, you know, it's not a big deal. A hundred percent. And, and uh, David and Jay were the two guys I interviewed in the podcast. They talked about it. But one thing I should say, hearing all this stuff, it makes me think because, you know, for me, it's been boom times, COVID. Everyone's listened to podcasts. Everyone wants to read articles. I've written a lot about COVID itself. Um, you know, my, I'm lucky my kids' private school, just great online programming. My, my wife's a lawyer, you know hasn't affected her. In fact, she loves the fact she hasn't had to commute to work. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're living large, uh, not the same for truck drivers or cooks or uh, whatnot. Um, one thing I would say, it made me think that if this, if COVID had struck 30 or 40 years ago, 
you wouldn't have seen the same division because 30 or 40 years ago, if you were a lawyer or, or something like that, or even a journalist, you couldn't do half as much at home. You know, you had the phone. Yeah. And I don't know if you were in France, you had like Minitel or something, or like, you know, we'd have dial up modems. Uh, like we did, certainly didn't have Zoom. We didn't yeah. have smartphones. Totally. So, so what would happen is white collar workers would feel almost all the same pain as blue collar workers. Cause you know, go to the office, risk getting sick or don't get a paycheck. Um, they'd meet more of them. They'd be in the same boat. There'd be more of a sense of shared sacrifice and camaraderie. And you wouldn't get a lot of the division you're getting now. I love technology, but technology, this, you know, driving a truck now, isn't that different for a lot of these truckers as it was 50 years ago. Right. But, but being a journalist, uh, being any kind of knowledge worker, it's, it's night and day. So Technology has helped society as a whole, but it has increased divisions within society. And this convoy we've seen in Canada is a symptom of that. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, thanks very much, Jonathan. Really great um, explanation and uh, uh, of what's happening and analysis. Really appreciate it. Um, and I yeah, just recommend that everyone have a listen to the Quillette podcast. So you know, really delves into a whole bunch of social and scientific and cultural issues uh, in such a even-handed and informative way. Um, uh, thanks for joining us on Loose Cannon. Please do get in contact. Um, the email address is loosecannonpod at gmail.com. And I actually have a new Twitter and there's like one follower. So have a look at it. It's <laughs> at Jono Loose Cannon. So that's at Jono, J-O-N-O, Loose Cannon, all one word. This um, And also Parnell has her Twitter, of course, and uh, I'll put those in the show notes. Love to hear from people on guests to have on and what you want to hear. Thanks very much. See you all next time. Thank you.